Hello, hello family. I'm, I'm blessed to be able to serve you all today. You all have been such a blessing to Mercy of Christ Fellowship Church. And it's my honor to be able to, to bring God's word to you all this morning. So if you would turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. And we got a pretty lengthy passage today. We're going to do Genesis chapter 32 all the way to Genesis chapter 33, verse 3. Genesis chapter 32 to Genesis chapter 33, verse 3. I initially planned to preach Lamentations chapter 3, but over the past uh, few weeks, the Lord has been pressing in on me, and I wanted to just kind of just open up my heart to you all. The Lord was speaking to me. I wanted to kind of share with you all. Uh, you all have been such a blessing to our church plan. As, I, as I've just said, I feel like whenever we have a need, uh, you all always see the care for us, and that's a blessing beyond words. Um, and just recently, at the very last minute, you all were willing to scramble around, open up your doors, and to host a funeral for a 22-year-old, a beautiful young woman named Kalia Rainey, who was murdered in, in D.C. Now, praise the Lord, you all didn't have to uh, make those arrangements because we were able to um, handle it on our end. So, but when you do a funeral for a 22-year-old girl, woman, who was uh, shot in the head while riding in the car with her mother, that does something to you. And preaching for an 18-year-old, uh, Navaris Johnson, a few months back, preaching at his eulogy when he was killed in Southeast D.C., leaves a mark on you. Just this past Monday in Southeast, while Anacostia River Church was doing evangelism on Good Hope Road, while they were doing evangelism, somebody opened, opened fire and killed the young man right on the pavement. All of these events, plus COVID, plus politics, plus the sin of my own soul, all have left me struggling a little bit. I struggle with identity. I struggle with feeling useless. I struggle with how to process fear and pain. Have you ever found yourself in some type of struggle? Are you in some type of struggle today? What do you do when the struggle gets real? When the night seems to be extra long and day doesn't seem to be coming any time soon? What do you do? Hear God's word. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Verse seven. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, 
O God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, O Lord, who said to me to return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of, the, of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I have crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Verse 13. So he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ooze and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first. When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. Verse 20. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him. And he himself stayed that night in the camp. Verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And the man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place, of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. For the, the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Verse 32. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the, of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. Verse 3, he himself went on ahead 
and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. In this, in this section, Jacob is in the struggle of his life. First, we see that Jacob is in the struggle with, with his brother Esau. In Genesis chapter 25, it's recorded that Jacob, the younger brother, took advantage of his older brother Esau's desperation, conned him and stole Esau's birthright, which was the right to be the family chief and priest. In Genesis chapter 27, uh, we learn that Jacob took advantage of his father's old age and his blindness, deceived his father, and officially stole Esau's birthright and his, and his older brother's inheritance, which was about two-thirds of the father's wealth. When Esau found out that Jacob had stolen his birthright and his inheritance, Esau said, I'm going to kill him. And so in Genesis chapter 27, verse 42, Esau said he, he was set on killing Jacob. So Jacob fled. And Jacob fled to um, and, and, and ended up set, uh, set, um, setting, settling it at Laban's um, hometown. Uh, Laban was his uncle. He spent 20, 20 years there serving his uncle. While serving his uncle for 20 years, he was on the other end of being deceived and was taken advantage of multiple times. And in chapter 32, Jacob leaves. He heads back home. He left with plenty. He left with two wives, which was wrong. Eleven children, servants, a large herd. In many ways, he left blessed. He even left with God's protection. So in, in uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 32, we see it, it has two camps. The camp of angels that were serving him and his camp of people and the camp of people and the flocks. He had God's protection. But with all of that blessing, he was still struggling. He was terrified because he was headed home and he knew that he would have to deal with Esau. In verses 3 to 4, we read that he sent word to Esau that he was returning home uh, from serving Laban, and he was uh, returning with some wealth. He was hoping to get a favorable, um, a scene favorably in, in Esau's eyes. But when the word came back to him about what Esau, uh, basically the word came back that Esau's coming to you, and he's not saying, welcome, Jacob. He's not saying, I'm impressed by your wealth, but he didn't say anything. Just know that he got 400 men, and he's coming to meet you. And so in verse 7 and 8, he's distressed and afraid. So, dist so distressed and so afraid that he divided up his camp so that if Esau killed one camp, the rest of the other camp could flee. So scared that in his prayer in verse 11, he said that he feared that Esau would kill him and attack him. So scared that he told his servants to, to, to take three large uh, droves of gifts and animals and, I mean, animals and, 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 and the such to give to Esau to announce his coming so that hopefully Esau wouldn't be so angry. In verse 20, he said he wanted to appease Esau. He wanted Esau to, to forgive him, to lift up his face, to show him grace. The struggle with Esau was real. And the struggle couldn't be calmed by any prosperity or any blessing. Have you ever been in a struggle that, like that? Your struggle ever been so challenging that no amount of prosperity and no blessings or planning was able to give you a peace of mind? Have you ever been so crippled by fear or anxiety or worry that no earthly crutch could hold you up? No movie, no date night, no shopping spree. Nothing could remove the worry. And then it's not just, earth, it's not just earthly uh, crutches. 
Has the turmoil ever been so deep that even your Bible reading plans, your sermons, small groups, scripture memory couldn't deliver you? You read that his angels are camped around you. And yet it feels like the fear is inside the camp instead of outside the camp. The struggle with man, the struggle with fear, the struggle can run deep. And we see, juggle, uh, we see Jacob has a fearful struggle with Esau, but then Jacob also has a struggle with himself. During his prayer in verse 10, he says that he is unworthy, that he is basically less than all the people on the earth who deserve so much blessing. Jacob had a sense of his sinfulness. Jacob's name meant grappler. And all of his life, he had been grabbing and taking from others without any care. He was manipulative. He was conniving. He was deceitful. He stole from his family, stole, lied, lied to his father, lied on God, and all for his own gain. He was selfish, prideful. He was a worm, and he felt it. He had to struggle within himself. He didn't like what he saw in the mirror. And that might be you also. One of the most painful struggles you might have is to struggle with yourself. So hard to forget about your past sins, isn't it? especially when you can trace your past decisions and your past sins to present-day circumstances and hardships. It feels like your past sin and decisions are haunting you every single day. Then this present sin also creates a struggle inside. You read God's word, instead of seeing Jesus' mercy in you, you see anger and self-righteousness. You feel like you're confessing the same sin over and over and over again. You know the sinfulness of your own heart, and that also presents a struggle. Is that your struggle? Then there's a struggle with God, we see in the text. And this is the struggle of all struggles. This was the struggle underneath and behind all of his earthly struggles when he wrestles with God. Whether he knew it or not, it, this was his biggest problem. We learn in Genesis chapter 25 that before Jacob and Esau were born, God promised that the older would serve the younger. And so Jacob, being the younger, had the promise that Esau would serve him. But Jacob wanted to take the promise on his own terms. Jacob lied and deceived others to get what he wanted. And while on the surface it appeared that he was snatching from Esau, he really was trying to maneuver and manipulate and snatch from God. He wanted to play God. He was grabbing at God's throne in his life. And this night reflected that battle. When Jacob sent his family across the river for for the night and was all alone, God picked a fight with him. We know it's a manifestation of God because one, the mere touch of the dislocated hip showing supernatural strength. Two, he had the authority to change his name from Jacob to Israel. Three, he told Jacob that he had striven with God and with man and had prevailed. Four, God named the place uh, Penuel because that's where he said he had seen God face to face and was spared. Five, in, in, in Hosea chapter 12, verses three and four, it says that Jacob's man, in Jacob's manhood, he strove with God and strove with the angel and prevailed. Jacob was wrestling with God, the God-man. And this was the real fight of his life. And God sought out this wrestling match because he knew that even Jacob was demonstrating more trust in himself than in, in the Lord. So God needed to straighten some things out. 
He knew that Jacob still had a heart of self-reliance, of self-sufficiency. And that's the real struggle of everyone's life. This was Adam's fight. Adam, was Adam going to accept God's rule over his life or was Adam going to try to be like God? This was Abraham's fight. Abraham was, going, was Abraham going to trust God to give him a child in his old age or was he going to try to create a child for himself in his own way? This was Habakkuk's fight. Will, will the Lord bring justice and mercy in the way that spared his people? Will, will, will Habakkuk wait on the Lord? This was Saul's fight before he became Paul. Will Saul fight? Um, I mean, uh, would Saul uh, live according to the law and not trust in Jesus as the Messiah? Saul thought he was just kicking Christians out their homes and putting them in jail when in fact he was really kicking against the Lord. This is the fight that everyone has. This is your biggest struggle. Will you wait on God or not? Will you trust him or trust your own strength? Will you follow the Lord or will you follow your own way? Will you praise him when you see no fruit on the vine or will you grumble against him? This is, the, this is the ultimate and deciding fight. This is the real struggle. What do you do in the struggle? Your biggest struggle is not COVID. It's not the government. It's not your boss, not your spouse. It's not even the devil. Your struggle is will you trust the Lord or not? So what do you do in the struggle? The first thing you have to do is you have to believe the gospel. And you have to put your life in the storyline of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, you have to see this story of Jacob in light of the big picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why did God spare Jacob, even though Jacob was a thief and a liar? Why didn't God completely crush Jacob and end his life right there? Why does he keep showing Jacob steadfast love and faithfulness? Why does he keep showing him grace? Well, it's because his goal was to show the world his grace. God had promised Abraham that through his seed, the world would be blessed. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had Judah. And through the line of Judah came Jesus. Jesus is the seed by which the world would be saved and is saved. If you think Jacob's story is great, Jesus is so much greater. Jesus is the better Jacob, the true son of God, the true Israel. While Jacob was deceitful, grasped at greatness, Deceived people. Jesus perfectly obeyed God, never sinned, never deceived anyone. And he did not find equality a thing to be grasped. But he humbled himself like a servant, died like a sinner so that sinners could find mercy and grace. Jesus, the son of God, took on flesh, obeyed God the father all the way to the cross, took upon himself man's punishment. Jacob deserved punishment. The world deserves punishment and wrath. Jesus didn't. But Jesus, the perfect son of God, took on man's punishment, took on the full weight of God's wrath and was crushed by God so that man could find grace. He died in man's place. He suffered in man's place so that man could have eternal life if they would trust in him. The first step in overcoming the struggle is turning from your sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. 
I pray that you would do that today. I pray that if you um, right now, if you feel the Lord, if you if you hear the Lord speaking to you, that you would not harden your heart. But that you would submit to the Lord. If you don't put your faith in Jesus, then you're going to have to wrestle with God the rest of your life. And then on Judgment Day, you're going to wrestle with God and you will lose. You will be thrown into hell. Forever. Put your trust in Jesus, the better Jacob, the true Israel, and know his grace. And if you are in Jesus Christ, the big picture is that you will overcome because Jesus Christ overcame. God brought Jesus back from the dead and he seated him in heaven as king overall. And if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, that means he is your king. That means that that God is not against you, but he is for you. And that you're standing in God's steadfast love and in his grace. That he's made a covenant with you through the blood of Jesus Christ and that covenant will not be broken. It means that he is Lord overall, no matter what happens in your life, he is working it out for your good. He told Jacob to return to his land so I could do you good. And he says the same thing to you, that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Everything will work out for, your good, for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. We have to trust the gospel, remind ourselves of the gospel when we're in the struggle. Number two, we have to, we have to obey. This, this Knowing the gospel gives us the grace to obey. We have to obey the truth of God's word. In the beginning of Jacob's prayer, notice he says, O God of my father, Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, verse 9, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. He said, the Lord told me, the Lord told him to return to his country and to his kindred. And that's what he sought to do. You see, no matter what route he took in returning to his country, he was going to have to face the music. He was going to have to face Esau, which was scary, and yet he obeyed. Jacob could have tried to go another route. He could have tried to continue to receive God's promise his own way, but now he had resolved to listen to God and to obey him. Obeying God can put you in some vulnerable, uncomfortable situations. God's word has some very clear commands for you to obey. And while the Lord promises good to those who fear and trust him, obeying him does not always feel good. But it's a must. The Lord says that even with the unbelieving and a harsh master or spouse or government, that you should try to win them over, not by returning fire with fire, but by being gentle and righteous and living a righteous life. The Lord says that if you have sinned against your brother or have any ought against your brother, that you should go and seek to be reconciled to them quickly. That's not easy. The Bible says that you ought to actually love your enemies. No matter how wild your children are, you can't be harsh and provoke them to anger, but you must patiently teach them. You have to submit where the Bible calls you to submit, and so much more. The Lord has given so many clear commands in his word, and oftentimes those commands do not appear practical. 
But we have to trust the Lord. We have to know that he has good plans for us. We have to believe his promises. It's scary because it's scary to obey in times when we don't know the end result. But that's when we have to not walk by sight, but walk by faith. Where we lock in on his promises and obey him because he is our Lord and master. Obedience is a sign that we've stopped fighting against God and now we are submitting to him. We must also humble ourselves to each other. And to humble ourselves to God in prayer. But see, we first have to humble ourselves to one another. In in verse 18, we see that Jacob calls Esau his Lord. And he says that he is Esau's servant. No doubt, again, he's trying to appease Esau. But I think there's also a bit of him trying to make restitution. Trying to make up for the wrong that he has done. He knew that he had stolen Esau's Inheritance, And so he was giving him a king's worth of supplies and, and goods. He humbled himself before men. And that is a sign that he has truly humbled himself before God, that he's humbling himself before God. And that's something we all also must do in the struggle. We must not forget that we also have a part to play in the struggle. And, 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 we, and whenever we have found ourselves to have sinned against someone, we ought to do our best to reconcile with them, to admit our wrongs, and to humble ourselves before each other. Strife will come. But what should make the church distinct is our ability and our willingness to admit our wrongs, to confess them to one another, and to make up for them when possible, and to seek true reconciliation. So we ought to do in the struggle. The other thing we ought to do in the huff struggle is humbly pray. You see uh, Jacob's prayer in verses uh, 9 to 11. That prayer is full of humility. First, he starts out by acknowledging God as he says, oh, verse 9, oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. He's acknowledging that the Lord is the Lord of the covenant, that he's a great God. He also, since he also um, shows a little bit of his unworthiness and confesses his sin in light of God's grace. And so he says, in light of all that you have done for me, how he had brought Jacob, uh, Jacob had left his home with just a staff. And you say, you brought me back with so much more. He didn't attribute that to his own shrewdness. But he attributed all to God being gracious and to being steadfast and faithful to him. And so our prayer must be humble and that we confess our sin and also that we give God the glory for anything that has been good in our lives. We ought never to have any sense of entitlement, even while we're in the struggle, because God owes creatures nothing. We ought to give praise to God for all of his grace and every, everything that has happened. He was humble enough to acknowledge God's work and his grace in his life. And so should we. We also should, in the middle of our prayer, in our humble prayer, we should pour out our hearts to God in true um, and make true petitions before him. He prayed. He said, Lord, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that Esau is going to attack me. And we have to be willing to pray honest prayers. Lord, I'm afraid. Lord, I'm a mess. Lord, I'm anxious. 
We have to be humble enough to tell the Lord our real needs and know that our good and heavenly father will supply our needs, that he will care for us, and that he cares for everything. We should take it to the Lord in humble prayer. And then we also should pray the promises of God. And so in verse 12, he says that uh, you, you told me to return to my country and you said that you would surely. And he said, verse 12, but you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Here we see uh, Jacob praying the, the promises back to God. He's praying God's word back to him. Calling the Lord to be faithful to his word. Praying God's word back to him and calling him to be faithful is not prideful. Prideful is when you claim and expect God to do something for you that fits your own desires. And, and, and it's according to your will for your, to, to lift you up. But when you pray according to God's will for him to fulfill his promises for you, that's bold praying. That's confident praying. That's the type of prayer he wants. He wants you to pray according to his promises, according to his will for your life. And Jacob humbly prays according to God's word. Whenever we are reading our Bibles, whether it's listening to a sermon or small groups, private times, we should be mining the scriptures for promises. And whenever those promises are general promises that apply to all believers, or, and we ought to take hold of those promises. Plead with the Lord. Pray them back to the Lord and ask him to fulfill them in our lives. And he will. He cannot deny himself. He will not go back on his word. All of the promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So we have to obey. We have to humble ourselves before each other. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord and pray. And then we also have to cling to the Lord, his grace. That's what we see Jacob doing when he is holding on to the Lord in that wrestling match. I say cling to him in his grace because this is all God's grace. Jacob didn't initiate this encounter. Jacob didn't say, I want to wrestle with God. God went to wrestle with him. God initiated this meeting with Jacob. God went to subdue Jacob because he wanted to subdue Jacob's heart. Tim Keller says that there are times in which God has to wrestle us into a transformed life rather than comfort us into a transformed life. God has to wrestle us into a transformed life rather than comfort us into a transformed life. Obviously, God could have won the match far earlier into the night because all he did was touch his hip in order to break J Jacob down. But in his mysterious grace and wisdom, he let the match linger on and on. And then he decided to break him. And most all commentaries agree that it was a touch and the immediate breaking that caused Jacob to see that he wasn't wrestling an ordinary man. And from that point on, Jacob went from wrestling to clinging. God said the wrestling match was over, but now Jacob moves from wrestling to holding on. He didn't have a lot of strength. He didn't have a lot of might. He didn't have anything to leverage himself. One good leg, which was not enough, but he held on in his weakness. Jacob had come to the point in his life when he realized that his only hope was not his ability to engineer something or to out or to be quick-witted or to be shrewd or to be strong. His only hope was holding on to the Lord and his grace. 
He knew that something was so much greater than him that was he was fighting against. And so he said, Lord, uh, I need you to bless me. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Family, I'd love to hear that you all are praying and fasting and you all have a prayer meeting coming up this Wednesday. I pray that the whole church can attend. What a blessing it is to be a praying church. Keep praying. I'm not opposed to strategic planning meetings and other uh, mechanisms that might help, but we have to lay hold of the Lord in prayer and not let him go until something happens. We have to pray and demonstrate that we're relying on his grace and his power alone. Family, sometimes his grace is dispensed through resilient prayer, through, through wrestling prayer. The Syrophoenician woman wrestled with Jesus in prayer, asking him to bless her. Jesus told the parable of the persistent woman in Luke, in, in Luke telling the parable so that people would not lose heart in prayer, but that they would keep on praying. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, it says that Epaphras struggled in prayer on behalf of the saints. We have to learn and keep on struggling in prayer. We can't be so easy to get up from our knees from 6 to 7. Sometimes you've got to stay a little longer. Sometimes you've got to go in your prayer closet, as Matthew says, and as the Lord said in Matthew chapter 6. You've got to go in your prayer closet, close the door when nobody's looking, and you've got to keep knocking and keep seeking and keep asking the Lord to act according to his will and his, and his promises. Spurgeon said, we do not forget to eat. We do not forget to take the shop shutter down. We do not forget to be diligent in business. We do not forget to go to our beds to rest. But we often do forget to wrestle with God in prayer. And to spend, as we ought to spend, long periods in consecrated fellowship with our Father and our God. It doesn't have to be long, but it should be often. Because we need his grace every hour. One author said, when God makes us wrestle with him for some blessings, it is not because God is reluctant to bless us. Even if that's how it first feels, it is because he has more blessings for us in the wrestling then without it, we've got to hold on to the Lord in prayer, hold on to the Lord's grace. And the Lord will give grace. The Lord does give grace. Jacob says, what is your name? The God man says, why do you ask me my name? Jacob should have known his name. He knew who he was wrestling with. But God said he... I got a blessing for you. Look at the blessings and we'll conclude. Look at the blessings that he had for, that he had for Jacob and, and, and we get something similar. One, Jacob gets a new identity. During the wrestling match, the Lord asked Jacob what his name was. He knew his name. The Lord wasn't just randomly wrestling someone without knowledge. He knew it was Jacob. But he needed Jacob to say it was Jacob. Before, when Jacob wanted to receive a blessing from his father, he, he, his father asked him his name. He lied and said he was Esau. Here, Jacob has another opportunity. Jacob has another chance not to be a deceiver, not to lie. 
He says, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the conniver. I'm the one who was grappling for things, trying to get things my own way. I'm Jacob. And the Lord said, now I'm going to. The Lord said, now I'm going to make you Israel. Names carry so much weight at that time. He, he was named Jacob, but now he's named Israel because he has striven with God and with men. The Lord gave Jacob a new identity. No longer would Jacob be known as a liar and a deceiver and a taker, but instead as one who had prevailed with the living God. The one who knew and believed that God was all he had. That God was the one who could give him the grace that he needed for the, for the morning. Jacob had a new identity. He was Israel. Oh, yes, the, 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 he, he would still be called Jacob at times in the scriptures, but now predominantly he's, he's Israel. Look at, the, look at the mercy of the grace and the grace of the Lord. Do you struggle with your identity? Do you struggle with who you are? Has your past choices or current lifestyle made you feel like you can't be anything else that you can't escape? When you confess your sins, do you just stay in your guilt feeling I'm just a sinner? I'm just a sinner. Well, family, if you've come to Christ, you're not just a sinner. Even when you confess your sins, you're not just a sinner. In Christ Jesus, you're a new creature. The old is past, the new has come. You're a saint. You could say with confidence, I'm washed. I'm sanctified. I'm justified by the blood of Christ. I'm holy. I'm God's beloved. I'm Jesus' brother. I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm an heir. Your identity changes with Jesus. You're a servant. You're a fisherman. You're an ambassador of reconciliation. You're a branch. He's divine. And therefore, since you're a servant, since you're a fisherman, since you're an ambassador of reconciliation, since you're a branch and he's divine, that means that he will bring results in your life. As you abide in Christ, as you follow him, he will produce fruit. He will work through you. Keep trusting in the Lord. Your usefulness is found in Christ, in his work through you. Keep preaching. Keep serving. Even in your weakness. The Lord's power is made perfect in our weakness. He received a new identity. Also notice he received a new limp. <laughs> he received a limp. After he held on to the Lord for his grace, God didn't make him physically stronger. He left him with a limp. He didn't make him physically stronger, but he did make his soul stronger. He left him with a limp so he could remember that his grace would be sufficient for him. He left him leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus, of Christ. I don't know what your limp is or what it might be or what it might be from. It's difficult. 
The loss of loved ones are difficult. COVID's difficult. Being isolated is difficult. But we can't despise the limp. Romans chapter 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Trials and sufferings now shape the believer. They shape Christians to be more like Christ. I know we want the thorn on our side. We want the thorn out of our side. And God wants you to know that his grace is sufficient for you. He breaks us to preserve our souls. He disciplines those he loves. One pastor said he dislocates the hips so he can have a person's heart. He loves you too much to keep you depending upon yourself. He leaves you with the limp so that you can have more grace for the journey. Another blessing, he leaves you with the limp so you can have a testimony. The limp is hard, but it's a testimony for the world to see. It's a testimony that God has set his love upon you. In verse 32, we read that the sons of Israel changed their whole diet to commemorate that day. Many generations remembered God's grace and God's mercy toward Jacob. God blessed Jacob with a testimony. And he leaves you with the limbs so that you could be a living witness and so that you could have a, a sign over your head that says, but God. How did you make it through COVID? How did you make it through the loss of that loved one? How did you make it through that job loss? How did you make it through that illness? You walk around with that. And you tell people, but God, but the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was your strength. And you limp around and you tell the world that. Go door to door. Talk to your neighbors. Tell them about the goodness and the mercy that's in Christ Jesus. That's able to save and sustain through all of life trials. And he leaves Jacob with new strength. He left, he left him with strength for his soul. The text says in verse 31 that the sun rose and then he crossed Penuel. In chapter 33, we see that he had divided up the family and sent them out. And before he was afraid and he stayed back. But in, verse, in chapter 33, what do we see? We see that he actually goes ahead of his family. And he bows down in front of Esau before his family gets to them. He had fresh courage. He knew that if God would allow him to wrestle with the Lord and and to be delivered, that surely God will protect them in front of Esau. And family, if God has given you his son, Jesus Christ, what else would he not give you? If God doesn't condemn you and if God is for you, what weapon can stand against you? They who wait on the Lord will have their strength renewed. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You trust in Christ. God the Lord will be your strength. He will make your feet like the deer. He will make your feet like the deer. He will make you tread on high places. I know the struggle is real, but God's grace is realer. 
And so we ought to trust in Christ and enjoy the blessings of a new identity, a new limp, a new strength, a new testimony. And we ought to know that we will overcome and share that with the world. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace towards us in Christ Jesus. We are weak people. Life hurts sometimes. But we trust you. And we know that you have enough strength to get us through. And we know that your mercy is new every morning. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you will strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy so that we might give thanks to you who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son. We thank you for that great redemption and for the forgiveness of our sins. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.